0: Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, take this word you have given to us this day and write it upon our hearts. Place it deep down within us, O Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would be renewed according to the image of Christ Himself. Grant us understanding and a heart that knows You more deeply and that loves all those that You bring into our lives and place along our paths as we fulfill our callings in our lives. Enable us, Lord, to act as You have called upon us to act by enabling us us continually with Your grace. All of this we ask through Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think in our passages today we hear much about the reality of living in a broken world. In fact, our gospel passages we just heard simply starts with, If your brother sins against you. We are confronted in our passages that we will sin against each other. We will not live up to the transformation that Christ has created in us. That He has created into those who are His. And the reason we won't live up to that transformation is because we are simultaneously saints and sinners. We are both justified and still sinful. We will still sin. And that sin is always going to be against another person. The question for us, though, is how do we respond? How will we handle that sin? How will we respond to sins committed against us? But also, how will we respond to sins we commit against others when we're confronted with our very sins? As we dig into this, I think it's important for us to remember the foundation upon which sin is dealt with. That God is Has dealt with that sin in Jesus Christ. And thus, what is God's posture toward our sins? How is He responding to it? What has He told us of our sins? And what has He said? Has God defined what sin is for us? Has He told us what is pleasing to Him and what isn't? Has He revealed to us the way of life and the way of death? And of course, that question is a resounding yes, for Scripture reveals to us life and death. He's revealed to us the right way to live, and He's revealed to us the wrong way to live. He's laid before us what is truly good and holy. And the question is, do we have the ears to hear, or, or are we too stubborn to receive, to listen, to hear His truth? Are we too stubborn to admit and submit to Him who has created us? To desire... Him, to know that He desires us to turn back to Him. And of course, all this we must carefully consider that God desires not the death of the wicked, which is all of us. All of us are the wicked, but He desires for each and every one of us to turn from our sins, to turn from our own paths and to discover the life He has for us. All of God's laws are for the purpose of not condemning us to damnation, but convicting us. Convicting us to our need for Him. Our need for a Creator who has redeemed us from the very thing that drives that wedge between us. His law is not a gotcha moment against us, but His way of reminding us of what He has made us to be. He is reminding us that He desires us to return to Him. That He wants us to turn from our wicked ways. To return to Him who has made us and He desires for us to function in the way that we are meant to exist. That we are supposed to function in a particular way and His law convicts us of how we are not doing what He has called us to do. And so God does not seek to utterly condemn us but He seeks to open our eyes to who He is and what He wants for us. And seeing those things to open us to the forgiveness that He has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. And so God does not seek to utterly condemn us. He does not seek to see us condemned. And so we begin with the rampart and the watchman of our souls. In Ezekiel 33, we hear of the establishment of the watchman, that he is a man who is picked and his job is to watch for the enemy, to be on the lookout. And when he sees the sword coming, when he sees the enemy coming, he is to blow the trumpet loud so that the people know that something is wrong and the people can respond and flee. They can prepare for battle. They can run from the army that is about to destroy their city. But if they don't run when the trumpet sounds, then all that comes upon them is of their own doing. For they have ignored the warning. They had not heeded the call from the watchman in that case. But if the watchman doesn't sound the trumpet, the people will still find themselves in disaster. And that disaster will be brought upon them because the watchman did not warn the people. That is, the watchman's job is to warn the people and they are to heed his call. And when he responds to the call of the watchman, then he saves his life. And that is what Ezekiel is in this passage. As it says in verse 7 of chapter 33, You, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. The Lord reminds Ezekiel that his job is to be the watchman over the people. He is to persevere proclaim the word of God he is to speak the law he is to point out that the people are sinners and that they are in danger that they are to turn away from that he calls upon them to do that that there is a condemnation that comes from refusing to hear God's law and turning from those sins and so yes Ezekiel must preach disaster for sin Yet the people know that repentance will remove that disaster. It's hidden within. As you are convicted by the law of God, you know that there is a way out. Even if it is not openly spoken immediately. It's like Jonah, when he went to the people of Nineveh, what did he say? He just simply said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. He just walked through the city proclaiming that. And the people heard it. And they repented. And they turned from their sins. Even the king himself called for a time of fasting because of this word of destruction that was cut, had come upon them. And what happened? The Lord relented. He saw their repentance and he turned away that disaster. And thus the destruction of Nineveh was averted because the people responded to the word of condemnation. Their ears were opened and they heard. And thus, that is the unspoken promise buried, I think. That's assumed within our text that repentance avoids disaster. When you hear of warning and you turn and you flee from the disaster, then you have avoided it because you heeded the warning. For it's built into the very warning itself that you are to turn. That you are to flee. Ezekiel has that calling to sound the alarm. He is responsible for that. He warns the people. If He doesn't warn the people, they will bear the punishment for their sins. And He is responsible for that punishment, for He has been charged to warn them to turn from their sins. But in all of that, there is repentance to avert the disaster. Ezekiel is responsible to preach and proclaim the warning to bring the law to bear, to remind the people that they are sinners and have broken God's law, that they have turned from His paths of life. But He is not responsible for what they do with that. The people must hear, they must listen, and they must respond. He cannot force them to abandon the city. He cannot force them to flee from the disaster to come. He makes it known to them and lets them see the way out but He cannot force them to abandon their sin. It is up to them. But then in verse 10 and 11, we have that unspoken promise given its foundation that repentance avoids disaster. We're given foundation and clarity. For the Lord says to Ezekiel, Say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? There we are given a foundation for that promise of repentance, that the Lord does not declare the death of the wicked. He doesn't want the wicked to die in their sins. That's why He gives them warning. That's why He brings the law to bear upon them, to turn them from their sins. He doesn't desire for them to be destroyed and to be condemned ultimately. He uses His law to awaken our hearts to His grace, to His mercy, to His promises of forgiveness to all those who turn. That we serve and have a God of mercy. That we can escape from our sins Because God does not desire us to be condemned. And how do we ultimately know that He does not desire our condemnation? But because He has sent us Christ. He has given us Jesus Himself to bear the brunt, to bear the discipline, to bear the judgments of our sins for us. And so God reveals that He doesn't desire the death of the wicked in His Son, Jesus Christ Himself. He shows forth mercy for all who would come to Him. To turn to Him. And how do our souls thus react? What is the reaction of our souls to this reality? I think we see that throughout the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. You see, when we come up on this passage in beginning at verse 15 about your brother sinning against you, Jesus has already been doing lots of teaching. This is all part of the same teaching to His disciples. That starts with the disciples coming and asking, well, who's the greatest, Lord? And He puts a child in front of them. He says, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. That You must humble yourself like a child who simply trusts in those who are caring for Him. And then He reminds the disciples that woe to those who bring temptation to sin. That it's better for a millstone to be tied around the neck of one who would hurt a child. That if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And then He speaks of the parable of the lost sheep. Do not despise the little ones, for the angels in heaven see the face of God. And if a man had a hundred sheep and one goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine to go search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Such a beautiful echo of those words from God in Ezekiel 33. I do not desire the condemnation, the destruction of the wicked. It is not the will of the Father that any one of those little ones should perish. It's an echo of that reality that God desires the salvation of those who are His. To those that have turned away, that He goes out searching for them. The shepherd goes forward, calling out to bring the lost sheep home. And what is our reaction to this? Are we moved by the love and kindness of God in this moment? Are we moved to receive from Him forgiveness of our sins? Are we moved to confess our sins? To say that we are ones who have brought temptations upon others. To say that we are ones who have caused anger in others. That we are ones who have brought sin upon others in our own lives. But yet the Father does not desire even us little ones to perish. But He goes out as the shepherd to seek and to search for us That through Christ He has brought us to Himself. Through Christ the great good shepherd He has dealt with the sins that we have committed. And so in all of this that we enter into in Matthew 18, 15-20 it's all predicated upon this idea that God does not desire that the little ones should perish. That He has dealt with the very sin that has been committed against you. And so as Jesus moves from that parable of the lost sheep who has been rescued because the Father doesn't desire the little ones to perish, Jesus then says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The reaction of our souls in this moment should be that of a little one who has been redeemed by grace that when we go to one who has sinned against us, to one who has done us wrong, we go as those with compassion, as those who seek to bring healing, as those who seek to make known the truth and the kindness, the compassions, the mercies, the loving, steadfast love of God and His loving kindness is for all those who turn from their sins. That we go as sinners saved by grace. We go as those who have been humbled by our own sins and humbled even more greatly by the love of the Father for us nonetheless. And when we go to speak with someone about their wrongdoing against us, we go with humility. And if that person listens, that is, if he truly hears, takes into himself the compassion that you are bringing, then you have gained a brother. You have gained back this one who is stumbling, this one who is turning from the Lord slowly but surely. But then if he does not listen, you go and find one or two others who can help you. Again, not to go in condemnation, not to go to destroy this person, but to go and bring compassion, to strive toward reconciliation, to bring forgiveness to that person. And if he still won't listen even with the others there, then Jesus does say, take it to the church. Bring this struggle to the church. And if he still won't listen, even with the church trying to encourage and to bring the grace of the Lord to this person to help them see their sin, that they might turn from their sin, if they still will not listen, then Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Which of course raises the question of how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Did He refuse to have anything to do with them? No. He spoke the grace of God to them. He brought kindness to them. He brought compassion to them. He evangelized them and called them to repentance, to turn from their sins, just as has been happening throughout the whole process of the brother going to the brother who has sinned against him. The difference is there has been disfellowshipping There has been a removal of this person from the church. There has been a stepping away of this person from the church for they are refusing the guidance and the kindness and the mercies of the church. That the church seeks to be a place of healing, a place where one can find the grace of God. And it's always calling us back to repentance. It's calling you to repentance this day because God the Father does not seek to condemn But He seeks to open our eyes by pouring His law out before us. By revealing to us our sins in order that we would be more fully healed. The doctor doesn't hide from you the fact that you have cancer. No, he straight up tells you, you have cancer and it must be removed. We must do this hard surgery in order to bring healing to you for if we do not, you will die. Likewise, with God's law, He brings it upon us that we would see the depth of the death within us, that we would see the depth of the disease that is eating away at our souls. His law is meant to make us feel bad. His law is meant to condemn us in order that we would turn from condemnation, that we would flee from the disaster to come, that we would listen to the watchman of the law and flee from that disaster of condemnation because He wants us to flee. He wants us to turn away and He paves that path for us in Jesus Christ. He brings to us forgiveness through Jesus Himself. And that brings rest for our souls. As we hear the rampart and watchmen speak to our souls, our souls react. And in that reaction we find rest. We find redemption. We find reconciliation. We find restoration for our whole being because we receive the work of Christ. We walk in that work of Christ. We submit to that work of Christ that condemns us as sinners, yes, but in order to lift us into new life because that is not the end goal of condemnation. The end goal is life and salvation, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That is the end goal of God's salvation for us. The end goal and purpose of His work in Jesus Christ for us is to bring rest to our souls. To bring healing to the weariness, to bring healing to the struggles. That is God's calling for us to turn from our sins, to turn back, turn back from your sins. That is what God is calling upon us this day to do. For we are the wicked ones, we are the ones who have brought about the death of Christ for our sins. God does it not to condemn us, but to bring us life. For He desires our healing. He desires our renewal. He desires to come to us and to reveal our sin to us. And He wants us to hear, to listen, to take it into ourselves and to be changed and transformed and renewed inwardly and outwardly by His grace, by His compassion, by His steadfast love for us in His covenant faithfulness. And so this day, God does not seek to condemn you. He does not seek to condemn me. He does not seek to condemn the world. But He seeks to open the eyes of the people to who He is, that He is Creator and Redeemer. To what He wants for us. that He wants salvation for us. And in seeing those things, in us seeing that God does not desire us to be condemned ultimately, that it will open us up to forgiveness, to restoration, to reconciliation with the Father, to redemption that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ for us. And so hear that Word that God does not desire to condemn through His law, but to bring conviction and renewal. That you would hear the Word of Christ that you are forgiven for the sake of Christ this day. You are not condemned in Christ but are given the forgiveness of sins as you turn, as you receive that, as you hear that Word, know that you are being healed by that Word. That though you are a sinner, you are made a saint for the sake of Christ. Thus, you are forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.